Fundraising everywhere. 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 Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yep, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions. Hello, my friends. You are all very, very welcome. Nice to see you all. Well, not see you all. Nice to see me. Well, it's not nice to see me, is it? Uh, Lovely to have you all here today for our monthly webinar. My name is Simon Scriver. I am speaking to you from sunny Dublin, Ireland, even though my apartment looks miserably dark and drab. There are all good explanations for all of this. Um, You're very welcome to join us for this monthly webinar today. We are uh, going to be chatting all things innovation, and I'm looking forward to this one because innovation is certainly not my strong point, Um, but we've got some great guests who are going to be chatting us through uh, uh, all sorts, and we'll be bringing them on in a second. I'll be introducing them in a second. But first of all, I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us. I can see the chat box is heaving at the moment already. Uh, So hello. Who have we got? We've got Anna. Hello, Anna in London, and then we've got Megan, Mandy on our team. Hey, Mandy. Mandy and Alex from our team are always here, which is good. Hello to Ian in Nottingham. We've got Greg and Sarah, Ellie Simmer. Oh, we've loads of people. Oh, Leah can't hear me. I would explain how to hear me, um, but you wouldn't be able to hear me. So hopefully someone can help them in the chat box. If anyone wants to submit any questions throughout this webinar, you can uh, also fill them, uh, uh, submit them by clicking on that questions button below, or you can just chuck them in the chat box and I'll be keeping an eye because I will be coming back on at the end uh, to throw your questions at our guests today. Um, So I will have lots of my own innovation questions, I'm sure, but please do keep those questions coming. Uh, I want to say a special welcome and hello to our members. As always, our Fundraising Everywhere members are uh, our lifeblood, um, and they are the ones who, you are the ones who uh, um, allow us to do all these. Um, So thank you to all our members who are here. If you are not a Fundraising Everywhere member, excuse me while I just put my sales hat on, uh, and you can click the Join Fundraising Everywhere button below, where you can find out more about our membership, where you will get access to all of our content on demand, all of our events. You'll also see a button below as well about contacting Flying Cars. Flying Cars, our guest today, um, if you click on that, if you want to follow up with them afterwards, and I highly do recommend that you have a chat to them afterwards because they are so lovely and helpful. Well, I know Henry is lovely and helpful. I've never met Anne, so Anne might not be lovely and helpful at all, but I'm going to assume she is if she's hanging around with Henry. Um, So do feel free to reach out to them afterwards. I would highly encourage that because they're great. But that's it. I think that's all my um, that's all my housekeeping. So let me stop waffling. I'm going to uh, bring on our guests and um, um, hand it over to them for their presentation. And then, like I said, I will come back uh, and be throwing difficult questions at them today. So um, our guests today are the wonderful co-founders of Flying Cards Innovation. So we've got Anne Race and Henry Rowlings. 
uh, who, if you are online uh, at all, and if you followed the kind of inf innovation uh, uh, nonprofit space, then you probably already know these two. But hello, Henry. Hello, Anne. How are you? Hello. I can can I just reaffirm that I'm very very helpful. Thanks very much. Uh, and it means nothing coming from you, Henry. Is Anne helpful? Is Anne lovely and helpful? Surely. She's absolutely lovely, friendly, wonderful in every way possible. Just like yourself, Henry. Okay, good. Yeah. We're, we're, in, we're in good hands today. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to hand over and we're going to be talking all things innovation. Uh, Flying Cars Innovation have an amazing track record when it comes to insights, innovation. Always, you know, you guys are people that I turn to and, and keep an eye on to see what's going on in the sector because you've got your finger on the pulse. And I only ever hear good things about you guys. So I'm very much looking forward to sitting back and learning a lot myself today. And then I will be coming back on, if that's all right, to chat to you, throw some questions at you and see. Um, but otherwise, I am a member of the audience now. So I'm going to uh, uh, bid you adieu and say thank you again, Anne. Thank you again, Henry, for joining us today. And, and I'll leave it over to you, if that's all right. Excellent. Well, lovely, lovely to be here with you all today. Um, thank you all for making it on the call. We're really excited to share some, not all of our um, tips and tricks, but some of our tips today with you all, um, really with the idea to help people um, get started in innovation, to do more innovation, to raise more money and to um, create more impact for your organisation. So if you put into practice some of the things that we teach you today, um, we're confident that you will be able to do that. So this is um, a quick uh, masterclass in innovation and we're going to talk specifically also about why insight is the sort of secret source that you need to get your innovation moving. So um, just very quickly a little bit about ourselves. Um, Anne and I are the founders of Flying Cars so we've been going since 2019. Um, so Anne's background is um, in product development and innovation and insight. She is our innovation expert. I am more of a generalist, um, but Anne has worked um, at Save the Children, Great Ormond Street, uh, and the Children's Society and Book Trust. And we met at the Children's Society when we were working there, running innovation and product development teams there. My background is in individual giving and direct marketing. So I've sort of run fairly large scale acquisition um, and retention programs um, at Crisis, Refugee Council, Scope, and the Children's Society. So between us, we have a fairly um, strong, uh, sort of, we cover a lot of bases around fundraising. Um, so um, just looking at the poll results, it looks like we've got some innovation specialists, 6%, fundraising specialists, 75%, um, some comm specialists, and some insight specialists. So a good kind of mix of people with us today. So we, Flying Cars, is an award-winning insight and innovation agency, and we um, won an award last year for a campaign that we ran with a client, which we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail. It was um, with um, a charity called Dementia UK, but we'll go into um, a little bit of detail around that. And we essentially work with our clients to create new audience-led propositions. So we work a lot in the sort of mass, mass engagement space, community fundraising and individual giving. That's where a lot of the kind of work is that we do. Um, but essentially, we develop brand new fundraising propositions um, for organisations um, that deliver lots of income and impact. That is our bread and butter. 
So um, the award-winning campaign that uh, I alluded to was something that we ran with Dementia UK. It came as a result of a full innovation cycle that we ran with them. So that campaign um, was amazing. It was really, really uh, successful. So it raised £2.1 million uh, in one single month um, from a new audience and product. So it was raising about £70,000 per day at its peak. Um, recruited over 25,000 new supporters for the charity and won the most powerful insight using research award from the IOF. So really fantastically um, successful campaign. Our sort of expertise are, um, we have a number of different expertise, but essentially we will train teams in innovation, um, how to do it and what the key tools and techniques are. Um, in audience insights, so we run a lot of lot of qualitative uh, research, um, and that's a strong expertise of ours. In co-creation, pivoting and iterating with audiences, so we pivot ideas as we move through our testing process. Fundraising across multiple disciplines and creating innovation strategies that work. And the types of teams we tend to work on, um, mass engagement teams, community fundraisers. We do a lot in the community fundraising uh, space. Anne is a community fundraiser by, um, by learning. Um, individual giving managers, heads of innovation, innovation managers, fundraising directors, um, marketing and digital teams. We spend a lot of time working with marketing and digital teams. And then we also work with some startups that have a sort of social purpose at the core. These are some of the partners we've been lucky enough to work with. So uh, Macmillan, uh, Salvation Army, Dementia UK, Battersea, um, hopefully all satisfied customers, I'd say, but then I would say that. You can ask them. So the campaign uh, that we ran with Dementia UK, it was the March Dog Walking Challenge. This was essentially to walk 100 miles in the month of March. You may have seen a number of campaigns uh, subsequently that the dog walking has been a lot of, sort of copycat campaigns. Um, but this, as I mentioned, came from a full innovation cycle that we ran with those, those folks. And essentially the target audience for that campaign were daughters of people that had dementia. So they were uh, women who um, had a family member with dementia. Um, we developed some, we ran some audience insight with them, which is something we do for all of our projects. We developed a number of different um, solutions and different ideas. And then we tested the ideas and the sponsored dog walk performed extremely well in testing. Um, so we knew that it was going to do uh, really well when it went live. There was a massive appetite for it. And the insight um, that we sort of developed through this campaign essentially told us that during lockdown, um, the daughters of people with dementia who'd also got dogs had been using um, their dog walking as a sort of stress reliever and as a way of managing their mental health during lockdown. Um, and they were doing it on a daily basis uh, and it really become critical to their uh, mental health. So during lockdown, it was very hard for people um, that had got parents with dementia to go and visit them, especially if they're in a care home. So there was even more stress for them on top of lockdown stress. 
Um, so it tested really well. But when we um, came to pitch the idea to them, there was an initially some uh, pushback that the organisation didn't really have a right to play in this space. Like, why would a dementia uh, organisation uh, run a fundraising campaign that had, had dogs in it? But we were able to show through the insight that we'd developed that actually the audience really wanted this to go live and that they did actually have um, a really strong reason uh, for running this campaign because dog walking had been so crucial to people's mental health in lockdown. So that really helped. Having that insight really helped um, get this signed off and they were able to put it live in the market really, really quickly. So when we run our insight, we always record it and create videos that then, then people can use internally. So it's kind of quite um, a good way of persuading stakeholders internally to run with an idea because it's not us telling you it's the audience telling you in their own words. And that's one of the reasons why insight is really important during innovation. It was a great brand fit and it was a very authentic campaign. So that was a very successful campaign. So um, why do we bother getting insight? And um, this is a very important question to, uh, to sort of um, cover off at the top of this um, um, seminar. So, um, Essentially, we get insight because on the left, you can see Peter and on the right, you can see Aisha and they are not the same people. So they are they're very different. They may have different, different views about uh, things. They may have different views and they may have similar views on lots of different areas. But if we don't ask them, then we won't know. So um, we want to speak to both Peter and Aisha and understand what the commonality is between them and what the differences are. And we can only know that if we ask them. Similarly, Peter and Aisha are not a room full of fundraising staff. They're not a fundraising director. So what we find often when we're working with organisations is that the go-to way of making decisions is for staff to reach consensus based on their personal preference. And we don't agree with that. We think that, that is the wrong way to make decisions around fundraising. So often a senior leader will make a final decision. You know, he goes, I like this, therefore we should do it. But actually, we want to move away from that so that we actually um, basically make decisions based on what the audience wants and what they're telling you about their product. So if you want to engage new community givers age 45 to 55, then you absolutely have to speak to them and understand what's important in their lives and what the unmet needs they have around your cause and then make a decision based on what they tell you. And if the staff making those decisions are not in the target audience, which they often, they very seldom are, then it's unlikely that you're going to make the right decisions that will give you that fundraising success. Thank you. I'll hand over to Anne. Lovely. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how we gather insight and what insight means and what great things can come from insight. And at the very end of this presentation um, or um, maybe tomorrow in an email, we're going to be sending out a, a guide to innovation with some really great top tips as well. OK, so what is insight? So insight is very much about learning the deeper motivations behind why people are doing the things that they do. And um, it could be um, in a, a sort of uh, an insight that you've seen before, but it's actually presented in a slightly different way, or it could be a completely new insight. And actually, the fresher the insight, the better for ideation. Um, 
we're really looking to try and find um, some um, new ways of viewing the drivers behind people's actions. Why are they doing the things that they're doing? Why are they making the decisions they're making? And it's the sort of underlying motivations. So these are motivations that it's very likely your audience are not going to specifically say, but they're going to tell you some things that will make you understand that actually, if you dig deeper, the underlying motivation is something that you can really use really well to generate ideas or to get your messaging right or to sort of get that ad um, perspective right. So they're not necessarily going to tell you that, you know, straight up that this is this is how I'm thinking and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're going to need to work that out yourself. But by sort of digging into um, their sort of day to day life or um, digging into sort of some areas of their life that they're that could be easily connected to charity work, then um, uh, you're going to find something useful. When you find the insight, you could present it back to the audience. And you might find that in some cases they say, oh, brilliant. Yeah, I, I've, I've never really thought about it like that, but actually that makes sense. Or you might find that people feel really uncomfortable when they hear the insight and the sort of underlying motivation uh, sort of spoken back to them, they might feel really uncomfortable about it. So it's not necessarily something that people feel comfortable about. It's not necessarily something that you're ever going to share with your supporters, but it's really useful to know so that you can get the messaging right, you can create those ideas. And very often it's never vocalised, so they're never going to just straight out say it. Okay, thank you. So what insight isn't, and we can be very sure about this, it's not just a case of collecting data. It's not just a case of collecting statistics or just a case of like observing and collecting information. And it's usually not a consciously articulated need. So like I say, in some cases you can present it back to them and they might think, oh, that's really interesting. That totally makes sense. But they're never going to sort of come out with it straight away. So insight is very much about sort of um, um, asking the right questions, making the right observation, putting everything together. And then you sort of understand a little bit more about why. And we're going to give you a working um, example of this a little bit later. But what makes a great piece of insight? The moment you see it, you understand more about what pe why people do what they do. It makes you think, oh, right, OK, that makes sense. Now I, now I understand why they're doing this or why they said that. It's very specific to your target audience. This is important. If you find a piece of insight, it could be great. But if it's relevant to a to, to everyone, then it's it's maybe not quite the right audience for you to engage a particular niche um, or a particular target audience of yours. It needs to be very um, um, a unique piece of insight that you can do something with with that not every other charity is doing something with. It needs to address some sort of need or want that the audience have. So they're finding solutions for this need. And if you can offer some alternative solutions, then that's that's what you're looking for. Um, and it explains why people are doing what they do. Now, the important thing is it shouldn't just be right an insight that is true for today or this week or necessarily just during pandemic. Ideally, it wants to be a lasting piece of insight that will work so that you can repeat, repeat a proposition or 
you can repeatedly sort of um, communicate with your audience using this piece of insight because it's a sort of lasting human truth, not just for now, but for a longer period. And it needs to be useful to you. So you can have great insight, but actually it doesn't generate the right ideas or it takes you off in weird paths. So it needs to be useful. So you want to find those pieces of like nuggets of gold insight that will if you were trying to find solutions for the right questions, you're going to generate great ideas. Um, it explains how supporters are feeling and thinking with more depth. It's very fresh. So, like I say, you don't want to be using the same piece of insight that every other charity is using. If you can find a different perspective, maybe the, the same, uh, a, a different viewpoint, a, you're coming at a problem with a different sort of set of questions, then that's going to generate some great ideas. If a viewer sort of looks at an insight and, and often you can you can sort of go through insight and bring it to a group of project managers or the team and they'll say, oh, that's interesting. Well, I don't think that. And that's probably true. They don't think that, but it's because they're not the audience. So, you know, I, I remember being in a room once and a, a guy piped up and said, oh, I'd, I, I just really don't believe that because that's not how I feel at all. And actually the insight was built for women aged between 30 and 45. So he was right. He doesn't feel that because he's not the target audience. And that's a really important piece to, uh, to remember. So we need to link all our insight to an audience and um, um, all our insight to um, different needs, sorry. And um, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, you're all familiar with this. Right at the bottom, it's sort of very simple needs, um, sort of um, safety. And then in the middle, you've got love and belonging and self-esteem and confidence. And at the top, you've got this sort of the ultimate self-actualization. And when we look at the sort of fundraising um, or engagement pieces that we deliver, they can usually fit somewhere onto this hierarchy of needs if they're addressing an audience need. So we find that things like 5K runs, 10,000 steps, they can often fit into that safety um, element. If people are worried about their health, they'll, they'll sign up to do a couch to 5K or 10,000 steps a day. Um, they might sign up to something like a, a, a Tough Mudder or a Colour Run or something like that because it's an experience. They might sign up to... Um, an experience with other people. So it's sort of building those relationships and that sense of belonging that they're doing that cake sale or they're doing that sort of quiz night. So that's the sort of in the middle. And then, and then right at the top, you've got self-actualization. These are people who are doing a, um, a sponsored comedy gig or they're putting on an event um, with lots of sort of charity tickets or they're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And these are much fewer numbers of people who are doing this right at the top, but the gifts are going to be a lot, lot higher. Um, and then right at the very bottom, you, with those sort of 5Ks and 10,000 steps, the, the gifts might be smaller, but you're going to have a lot more people, you know, mass engagement. So it's sort of more money, fewer people at the top of that pyramid and um, a lot more people with slightly less um, in terms of average gifts at the bottom. Lovely, thank you. So this is one of the best pieces of advice I can give you. If you can ask why, it'd be very annoying, keep asking the same question five times, you're going to get to the root of what 
is driving the actions behind what people are doing. Um, it's it's uncomfortable at first to ask the same question over again, over again, but it's really, really helpful. And actually making people feel um, slightly awkward by providing sort of moments of silence and insight isn't necessarily a bad thing either. And we'll go through that later. But if, for example, somebody's saying they've got a really old lawnmower and it's a bit slow, I, I want one of those really flashy robotic ones. Um, so you're asking, OK, right, that's really interesting. Tell me more about why that is. Why do you need one of these flashy robotic ones? Well, because I need to mow my lawn. And you might get a bit of an awkward, like, that's an obvious question. OK, well, why is that? Tell me more about that. Why do you need to mow your lawn? And they might again come up with a, well, it's a bit obvious, but I just need to keep my grass short. And you can come up with some alternative um, solutions. So if the question is, how might somebody keep their grass short? Yes, they could have a flashy robot lawnmower. They could also go for a goat. You know, a goat's going to keep the grass short. So and then ask us at the same question again, you know, why is it that you need to keep your grass short? And again, it's a, like a crazy question, but you're forcing them to think about it. Why do you need it? I need a way to keep my lawn looking great with minimal effort. It was taking me hours and hours to use the old mower. So I need, like, my time's precious. Um, you know, my old mower's taking too long. Okay, well, alternative solutions for this new sort of question, how do you keep the lawn looking great with minimal effort? Gardening services, get someone else to do it. Ask again, so, but why do you want them to, your lawn looking great with minimal effort? I need a way to spend less time mowing and more time enjoying the garden again why is that and you get down to the root of what it is that they need and what is their want they want to keep those precious few hours of family um, of family time for family they don't want to spend all time sort of mowing the lawn they want to create quality time with their children and they want to feel proud of their home when you know people come round and that is in, in asking all of those questions you're getting to a, a completely new solution. You know, maybe get rid of the sort of lawn altogether, get some decking in, or, you know, there are alternative solutions if you ask alternative questions. And they're similar questions, but they're not quite the same. So getting the right questions in there is important. Lovely, thank you. So some examples of what this looks like is, um, so people aren't going to tell you straight up, you know, it's because I want to, I want to be feel proud of my house when friends come over. Um, so, for example, they might say that they're always seeking out things to do with the children. You know, I'm always looking for stuff on the weekend. The kids need something to do, something we can, otherwise we're just going to end up being in the house sort of in different rooms on different devices. And one of the insights that might come out from something like that, and it's not just from one person telling you this, but from maybe speaking to a few people, is I want more quality time with my children and to create memorable moments. And then so, uh, another example, they might say something like, I've tried diets, I snack too much, I keep getting into the chocolate, and it's usually when I'm watching Netflix, but you know, it's, I can't help it, it's just something I do. I always get snacks when I'm in front of the TV, but I'm trying to get healthy um, so it's a sort of guilty pleasure. And the driver behind the sort of guilt might be that actually they want to find ways of positive behaviour changes to stick and become habit because they've got into these bad habits. 
So that's some examples of the kinds of things people say and then the kind of insight that might drop out of it if you put it together with a lot of things that other people say as well. Lovely. So there are lots of ways to generate insight. Um, we've got a few favourites. Um, you could ask people to do um, some ethnographic work, you know, spend a, a period of time doing some written diaries or photo diaries or spend some time observing people for a period of time. You could do group listening sessions, get a sort of group of half a dozen people in a room to discuss. You could do some sort of one-on-one -on -one telephone interviews. Um, you could do some um, desk research to sort of back up what, um, to find out what is out there already that you can sort of look into. Like, for example, looking on Facebook, you'll get an understanding of some of the things that people are doing and, and um, the reasons why. And same with trends tracking. So that's just a little bit more formal. Um, you can do some surveys and you can put maybe some a bit of um, free text for some Qualquant. Um, you could ask some industry experts. And I would say that something that all of you have got that I haven't got, I've lost my superpower because I always used to work in the charity sector and the most powerful tool I had was my charity email address. And um, it's definitely worth trying this. So if you want a piece of insight, if you go to um, a corporation or a private company that has your audience um, as, as, as a customer, email them and ask them if they'd be willing to share any of their um, insight about their audiences with you. You'd be very surprised how willing corporations are to share their insight with a charity. It's a way that they can help without necessarily giving you money that you know can be exceptionally useful and they, they won't see you as a sort of competitor. So um, even if you can have a phone call with um, a sort of industry expert, um, it's definitely worth asking. They can say no, but often they say yes. I can't do that with my flying cars email address. You need that charity address to be able to do that. Um, friendship parent views, if people are sort of, um, uh, people feel more comfortable talking if they've got their friend there. And one-on-one um, -on -one Zoom listening sessions, which is one of our favourites, where we can really deep dive into um, what people are seeing without getting anchored in thoughts by other people. And then you've got things like social insight platforms. Lovely. Okay, so my best piece of advice I can give you is incentivize people to talk to you. Um, yes, you can definitely um, ask people to um, do a piece of insight for free and you'll get people who will put their hands up and, and do that for you because they really want to help you. They're your super supporters. But actually, you, you really don't want to speak to your super supporters when you're trying to create um, new campaigns or improve your current campaigns. You want to speak to people who should be engaging with you, but are maybe not. So if you can incentivize with maybe a £40 Amazon voucher, which seems to be the sort of like the winning, the winning amount that will get people to definitely turn up and definitely get them talking uh, their, through their true thoughts, telling you if they don't like something rather than just being super nice because they already are your super supporters. That's the sort of um, the winning amount. Um, paying people means you're going to get to the truth of things. They're going to tell you if they don't like something and the reason why, or they're going to tell you why they don't engage with the brand, or they're going to tell you why they just they don't like the idea of this. Um, uh, people don't sort of hold back the punches if they're getting paid for their time. And really, you want them to be doing all the talking, not you. Know, not you. So you're going to be saying a few things just to prompt them to open up. 
And then one of the best things you can do when to get people talking is just say, oh, tell me more about that. Um, why is that? Oh, can you just explain this a little bit more? Or just say nothing at all and just be silent. And that's one of the most useful tools for you is just to be silent and wait for them to fill that silence with something because they'll feel slightly awkward and they always do fill the silence. You won't necessarily know what's important when you first start talking to people until you've spoken to a few people and then you realise that these certain areas will be more important to dig into than others. So it's always um, useful to have um, a few sessions. Great. So our tips are, you know, start off with um, easy questions just to put people at ease. So questions that you know people can answer without thinking before you start to get into sort of more in-depth questions. You can have a script, but you don't want it to come across as a script. You want it to be a sort of um, um, a flowing conversation where most of the talking is happening and you're doing most of the, the listening, not the talking. Your best techniques, silence, because people will fill that silence because they feel awkward and they'll just keep talking about something until it's useful to you. Tell me more about that. Please tell me more. Why, why is that? Oh, can you just explain that a little bit, a little bit more? Why is that? Ask why five times. And um, just be mindful because insight interviews can often turn into therapy sessions. And um, it's it, it's not very often that people are asked to give you their sort of um, their, their true thoughts about things and people enjoy it. So you just need to be mindful that you're careful about um, in which directions you go with insight. Watch out for safeguarding issues. But there's lots of guidance um, online in the Market Research Society. have got some great um, guidelines to follow. Fab. Thanks, Anne. <clears throat> so um, you've followed this advice and you've got some insights. Uh, what are you going to do with it now? So um, the way that we work is uh, we have developed uh, some insight statements, some springboards, and essentially we are um, trying to find interesting ways of ideating. So we use the insight that we develop in the ideation sessions that we run with our clients. And the way that we do that is we turn the insight statement into how might we questions. So for, as part of preparation for ideation, you need to prepare, pre-prepare some how might we questions. So if your insight statement was, I want to create memorable moments with my children, I want to create memorable moments with my children, we would sort of stimulate people's ideas by turning those into how might we's, how might we create moments of laughter for families while raising funds? How might we help parents have more quality time and raise funds? How might we create memorable moments for mums and daughters and raise funds? So what you're doing is trying to help stimulate people's uh, brains and also keep pulling it back to the brief. So if the brief is um, not raising money or something else, then, then pull it back. But always make sure that you do pull it back. Otherwise, you'll end up with a load of irrelevant ideas at the end of your ideation session. But what you're doing with that insight is it is to make sure that your ideation session is structured and is rooted in audience need rather than just being a load of random ideas. Um, so that's the importance of the insight. So... With ideation um, sessions, this is a crucial part of uh, any innovation cycle. Um, you can do them yourselves, you can organise them to yourselves, or you can work with a partner to do it. 
But either way, it's really important that you plan to stimulate the um, brains of everyone that's going. So in some instances, workshops are perceived as working really well for extroverts, so people who love talking and like being spontaneous, but we ruthlessly make sure that our ideation sessions work for introverts and extroverts. So it's really important. So introverts uh, make up, it's quite a hard thing to judge, but about 25 to 40% of the population. So um, if you plan an ideation session, it takes a lot of planning and you don't include everyone, then you're missing out um, a lot of people in the session. So um, make sure that you are designing for um, uh, introverts as well as extroverts. So the difference is introverts recharge by being alone. They might feel quickly overwhelmed by noise and they prefer reflection and thinking time. Extroverts are quite different, so they enjoy social environments um, and they're happy sort of being put on the spot and, and, and speaking with no warning. So pretty different to introverts. So our top tips for developing workshops uh, to get the most out of introverts, and we've planned and run a lot of workshops and these are tried and tested. You must have solo silent work and we tend to do these at the beginning of each session and you get a high volume of ideas from solo silent work it's a bit like going back to school and doing exams people sort of feel the pressure and and really think oh god i've got to come up with loads of ideas and they come up with lots and lots of ideas in a um solo um environment and with that silent work so what happens in a group situation is the person with the loudest voice the first person to speak they say something and then they anchor all the rest of the ideas for the rest of the session. If you make sure you've got the um, solo silent, not that easy to say, done first, then you get everyone is able to contribute. We play music during those solo sessions because otherwise it's a bit awkward. Um, So some music with no words um, is really good. Otherwise, the words are also distracting. So you need a silent playlist for that work. Group work has to be really tightly facilitated um, and don't start a session with group work as you won't get that high volume of ideas. Group work is really good for building on um, ideas. So people will take a load of ideas and collectively make them better. That's where it works best. If you're running virtual sessions, then just let people have their cameras switched off if they like. Um, It's also better for the environment, but um, it's also, it's so some introverts just don't want to be on screen all the time. So just allow that. That's fine. Um, Make sure you've got plenty of breaks so people can recharge their energy and make sure you've built in thinking time to the agenda. So don't just have bang, 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 no no sort of breaks. People get quickly um, uh, tired. It's also really important not to ask people um, to just share good ideas. So we always say, please share some bad ideas as well. And that gives people permission to contribute an array of different ideas. Um, it's You may want to uh, send information in advance, and that, again, works well for introverts, so they'll start to think about the information that you sent in advance. You should spend as much time on writing and thinking as speaking, so your session should not just be speaking. This is also really important. Make sure that you continuously mix up the groups uh, and the personnel in each group. I'm sure everyone has had an experience of being in the same group with people perhaps you don't get on with particularly well and you just get that sense of foreboding that you know you're going into a situation with someone you don't vibe off with. So make sure you mix up groups. 
Um, and don't always ask people uh, to volunteer their ideas. Sort of introverts won't volunteer. So what you do is just uh, ask quiet people directly to contribute. And they're always happy to be asked. But if you don't ask them, they don't say anything. So, so um, make sure that you're sort of bringing everyone into the conversation. And then the final tip on the um, workshops with introverts is to make sure that you include some off-camera creative exercises so people have different stimulations and creativity is stimulated in different ways. So we, in our ideation sessions, we'll send some plasticine and Lego in advance so that people can just chill out, make some stuff, and get their sort of creative juices reflowing, as it were. So make sure you've got those off-camera creative exercises. And then nearly um, at the end, and when then we'll move into um, a Q&A, I can see some interesting questions have come up already. So our, just to recap, our 11 uh, top-notch insight hacks. The first one is incredibly important and is probably the most important one to remember, and that is that you are not your target audience. Um, don't ever forget this. So if you find a situation where you're making decisions just internally about your preferences, then that is a sort of red flag. You're not your target audience. And the senior staff and colleagues have got an opinion and your governance bodies are not your target audience either. So don't sort of be afraid to remind people of that. Do have a look to see what insight already exists around the organisation. So supportive care teams sit on a lot of emails, a lot of calls, speak to them and, and see what insight you can get from them. Use silence, number four, use silence when you're interviewing people uh, to get them to give you more information. That works really well. Don't forget to use the five whys technique. And if you just Google five whys, a load of information will come up about how to use that best. You will get to the root cause of a, of a problem if you use it. Plan idea sessions for introverts and extroverts. This is number six, very important. Number seven, um, if you hear lots of untested assumptions about your audience, you know, old people don't go on Facebook, old people don't use the internet, that sort of thing. I'm sure we've all heard that. Um, then you need to challenge those untested assumptions. Another really important one, incentivize your panel. So don't just speak to your super supporters. If you unincentivized panel is a skewed panel. Very important number nine, make sure you've got insight from a really diverse uh, cross-section of your target audience. So you want representation across race, gender, sexuality, disability, geography, social class. Really, really important um, that you have diverse um, people within your insight or you're just going to end up with very similar um, ideas. You need to use how might we statements in your ideas generation sessions. And also, again, really important to include in an ideation session your target audience. So if you're coming up with ideas for millennials, don't have a room full of Gen Zs. The ideas are going to be out of touch. They'll be sort of, you know, really kind of um, cringy ideas. So make sure you've got your target audience in your ideation session uh, to make sure that you've got the best ideas. And just quickly, a little flag. So if you want to get in touch to uh, discuss any of these ideas or follow up with us, just drop us an email at hello at flyingcarsinnovation.com. Um, say hello on Twitter at Henry Rowling or at We Are Flying Cars. Um, do sort of connect on LinkedIn. So I'm Henry Rowling. Funnily enough, and Anne is Anne Reese, <laughs> bizarrely enough. And then just to flag up in the email that you get 
from uh, fundraising everywhere in the next few days. There'll be an option to download some bonus content, which is 10 killer questions to ask and get questions uh, to in order to succeed in innovations. There's a link in there that you can download a little PDF um, guide that we've produced. And that is the end of everything we were going to say. And I think Simon's going to come in now and we'll talk, answer, hopefully, some of the questions. I'm back. Hello. Thank you, Hi. guys. That was great. Henry, is that a branded Is that a branded mug you're drinking from? Is that It's not, color? actually. No, it's... It's, it's your colour, yeah. though, isn't it? I should have, I could, it is our colour. I could have just uh, put a little sticker across it and made it. <laughs> um, that was great, guys. Thank you very much. And to, the, to our audience, um, if you have any questions, anything you want me to put to Anne and Henry now, then please do either click the questions button below the chat box or just throw them straight in the chat box because I'm keeping an eye. We got, we got some great questions coming in. The first thing I want to highlight is because you said it a number of times, and I know in my fundraising career, I've heard all the smartest people talk about the target audience. You are not your target audience. That seems to be one of the big mistakes we make in our sector. Isn't it? I don't like this. My board doesn't like this. My CEO doesn't like this. It doesn't matter, does it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a very uh, it's it's the rule number one. Remember, you are not your target audience for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff. Okay. So um, one of the one of the things that you said, Anne, which was which I thought was really smart or really interesting and smart was about your email address when you had a charity email address. It's like a license to kind of reach out and get in touch with these people. And I, I wonder if you could just speak a little bit more about that, because because companies and, and people, they do like sharing their opinion, don't they? Like we're afraid sometimes to ask them, but people generally like coming back on that. Yeah, absolutely. People love giving their ideas and they love sharing their knowledge, especially for charity. So if you're going to corporate and you're you're not asking them for money, saying, you know, you're an an industry expert in whatever audience. So, for example, I think the last um, one of the last ones I did before I moved into flying cars was to um, uh, a company that uh, has a main audience of young people. You know, would you be willing to share? And it was a very popular gaming company and they were very willing to have a chat. So I had a good long hour long chat. And after that chat, um, this very lovely lady was really willing to send me some documentation she didn't see the charity at all as like a competitor and um, she was happy to help in that way so that was really useful another thing you can do with your email address is invite some of these um, potential new corporate partners to your ideation sessions especially if you have similar audiences because again CEOs, directors love being asked for their ideas especially if their ideas are going to help great causes so that's a another sort of superpower of your email address very good and and i mean we, we have to acknowledge the poll you ran like the majority of people attending today are fundraising point of view so you know i think it's 70 something percent is is from a fundraising background so this is this is quite a good in from a fundraising point of view isn't it because if you go in asking for money straight away it can be a bit kind of cagey but if you kind of entice them in by sharing their opinion it's also a fundraising tool isn't it it is a fundraising tool if you've got people who are um, from the corporate sector in your ideation session, especially, or they've provided the insight, there's a sense of ownership there for what it, whichever ideas come out the other side. And if you've got everybody sort of stretching those ideas in that ideation session, they're going to think, you know, I've contributed to that. And then when it comes to launch and delivery, 
they're going to want you to succeed. So they're going to open some doors for you. They're going to, you know, maybe send that out to their staff or see if they can get their branches involved. So it's a really good idea to sort of open this, open your sort of innovation work out to sort of industry experts or corporations. Yeah, it's a foot in first foot in the door. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Henry, let me, let me ask you this, because there was a question from Simmer, and Simmer, you are, you are a, a person after my own heart, because this is me as well. Like, I always t- tend to bring this back to, like, small charities, because I, I worked in a small charity. I was a solo fundraiser. Where, where do you start with this if you're already an overworked, overstretched fundraiser? Maybe you're the only person in your department that cares about stuff like this, or the only person in your organization that cares about this stuff. Is this something just for the big big guys, or is this something we can do on a smaller scale? What do you think, Henry? Mm, great question. Um, it comes up a fair amount. Um, so I think you you can't do this if you don't make any space for it at all. So if you are, so let's take the most extreme example, like you're a solo fundraiser and a very small charity, you you would need to prioritise getting involved and doing some innovation in order uh, to, to do anything at all. You can do it on a, on a, a very small budget. So budget-wise, you can do everything we've said for, for really next to nothing, but you do need time. Like time is, is a resource that you, can't, you need either time or money. So if you are a solo fundraiser, the way that we suggest people can make time is by stopping doing some other stuff. So we recommend this to clients all the time. So you will probably have a campaign or two in your portfolio that's not bringing you a huge amount of money. It might be sort of like a legacy campaign, not a legacy as in people die, leave money, but a legacy as in you always run it. Yeah. And it will have dwindling returns. So our advice would be just stop doing that thing that's not ever going to make you any money. And in that way, you can you can create some time to do that because you can do this on no budget, but you can't do it on no budget and no time. So if you're going to prioritise it, um, then make some time by stopping doing something. And then if you do that, you also free up time from digital or marketing, or maybe you're doing digital marketing and fundraising. You make you free up your own time by stopping doing it. On the stuff around doing it with no uh, budget. Uh, so for insight, you can get insight from Facebook groups. So if you were uh, working in a uh, homeless charity, for example, and you wanted to know what people, what issues were important to people around homelessness now, then we would say go and join like a, a, a kind of Facebook group around social housing or kind of um, a, a rent, uh, a, a sort of renters uh, Facebook group. You will find within that, as long as it's an active group, you'll find loads of information that you can actually get insight from as a starting point there. Um, you may need a little bit of budget to do some insight um, interviews, so £40 vouchers, do the insight yourselves. Um, make sure you've got a little bit of safe, safeguarding in place, but you can do insight yourself. You can do ideation yourself. Again, most of this is, is tied up in time. So you can run an innovation cycle on an absolute shoestring. You know, what you can't do is do it if, you, if you're not sort of got any time at all. So we believe really strongly that small organisations can do this. And I mean, you, you've worked with small organizations who have done this successfully. So what, what have you seen sometimes as a way to get buy-in from the organization? Because I imagine people who are attending this webinar, they're probably, you know, they're of the same mindset of you. They're forward thinking like that, but they're trying to sell this to their board or to their CEO. And, and someone asked that question. 
Any any like quick tips there in terms of what's the magic phrase you could say to someone's CEO to get them to to allow their team to spend time on this or even spend budget on this? Yeah, I'll jump in here. So I think um, it's what will happen if we do nothing. So here, here are the projections if we do nothing at all, if we just keep things going the way they're going. And um, very often if it's going to be either like this or it's going to be like this. So you need to keep up with new things, new trends, new platforms, new things. And um, it, it's sort of seeing that projection actually in two years time, we're going to have a lot less people in the database because people are dying or people are we're losing people. And then coming to the um, uh, the CEO on the board with some examples of, you know, this is what other charities are doing. They're making investments in innovation. They're freeing up time and resources and they're managing to create these huge sort of sums in new income streams. So it's showing this is do nothing and this is the potential. Because we are seeing some charities taking this really seriously. Like I know, like, I think the British Red Cross, they have an innovation department now and, and, and you know, certain charities really properly investing in this. Like why, why are, I mean, this is a big question, but why are charities, why, why when we look at charities, do we not always take this seriously? Whereas if you look to like the private sector and tech companies, of course, they're always innovating. Of course, like it's just no brainer. It has to be done. And we all admire and respect it. But in the charity sector, it's kind of like, well, we have to play it super safe sometimes. Why, why is that? Yeah, because innovation's a long game. You're not going to necessarily get a really quick win, you know, the next month. You need to invest in it and then you're investing for next year and the year after. And that that's a, a, it's sort of difficult to make those sort of decisions for the long term, I think. Yeah. But I think the charities that are smart are realising the do nothing approach is not great, not healthy and not going to lead to sort of like filling those income gaps or creating new income streams. Mm. It's long-term sort of thinking that really works for innovation. 100%. Just quickly, like the business model for a lot of fundraising teams, quite rightly, is maximise the income of the campaigns you've got and scaling up those campaigns to bring in as much money as possible um, and not thinking about every every um, successful fundraising campaign proposition will plateau at some point, like it will stop it'll stop doing well. And then you might have a 3 million hole in your uh, budget or a 50,000. It, it doesn't matter. Like what, it's about the scale of the organization, but at some point it will plateau and then it will start to drop off. And if you don't have anything to replace it with when it has dropped off, um, then you're playing, you're scrabbling around and playing catch up. But the, but, but the business model is scale and maximize. It's not to kind of keep feeding new ideas in. And I think that's something probably that needs to change. Interesting. The, there's a question from Sophie, um, and when you were talking about the Maslow's hierarchy, it would be good to get an example of audience needs and how these can be met with a fundraising offer. And I think I think what kind of Sophie's asking there is like nobody nobody needs to donate, do they? Or there's not a, it's not scratching that need. Can we present fundraising as a as a need like that? What do you think? Yeah, so I think there were a few examples in the, in the deck, but I can give you another one. So mm. um, um, a, a, an example need might be that I want my parents to be proud of me. And that's a definite unarticulated need for people. And that we, we found that in insight because we're asking people, you know, so tell me about some of the great things that have happened to you. Oh, I've got a new job or I've got pay rise. Okay, so um, and, and then what happened? Um 
okay, then I told my mum. So the first people that they're thinking of telling is their mum. So this piece of insight, they're not going to say, you know, I, I want my parents to be proud of me, even though I'm a grown woman, but it's a it's a powerful piece of insight. Now you can use that um, insight to generate um, potential ideas. So you can phrase this into lots of different sort of how might we questions. And if you can include in those how might we questions, some links into the fundraiser. So how can how might we create a fundraiser that will allow somebody to create moments where their parents might feel proud of them? Mm. Um, so you're, you're sort of um, turning that um, insight need into a how might we question and how might we question needs to relate to um, a, a fundraiser or an engagement um, connection. And uh, some of some, some insight needs might be very, very fruitful for ideas generation. And some of them might only generate, you know, a few ideas be really tough. Mm. Remember, you only need one great idea to be really successful. So usually yeah. the tougher ones are the ones that the tougher insights that you're sort of using to generate ideas. Other charities won't be using them. So they, it's always useful sort of using some tougher insights um, in sessions and some easier ones as well. That's interesting. The, the, that, that leads us nicely onto a couple of questions that have come in about when you have the ideas. Uh, maybe, Henry, you have some thoughts on this. Amanda is asking, you know, how do you evaluate those great ideas? And then someone else asks, you know, how do you, how do you validate them? Like, what is the next step? You know, it's all well and good to have all these ideas coming in, but how do you know if they're any good? How do you measure the success? What What's the next step? It's a big question, and, and I'm conscious mm. of time, but what do you think, Henry? I'll be really concise. So on the first one, and I'll let Anne do the validation um, second question, but on the first one, you need to have a success criteria. Uh, and so we're working with, when we're working with clients, we work with them to develop a success criteria. So that might be, does this idea answer an unmet need that the audience has got? Yes or no. If it doesn't, then we would say that doesn't fit the success criteria. Is the idea scalable? So is it something that you could run all around the country? Is it going to be of interest to people all over the country? Is it going to allow you to hit the goal that you developed at the beginning of the campaign? So is it really, really niche or is it actually kind of scalable? Um, so that's also really important. So basically, directly, Amanda, you need to... Um, devise what you consider to be your success criteria and then measure those ideas against that criteria in a little matrix. Yes, no, does it fit? Okay, fine, it can move to the next stage. And on the validating, how can you, um, how would you recommend validating the idea aside from smoke screen testing? Oh, that's Anne's speciality. Yeah, that is a big question. We haven't got much time, but essentially um, you need to understand, learn how to prototype. I think the charity sector is really good at generating ideas, not that great at understanding what prototyping means. And for a lot of charities, um, they, they might think that prototyping means creating a sort of um, a, a version, a smaller version of your idea with very little budget. But actually that's really not the case at all. In order to prototype, um, you can do things really, really quickly and sort of get rid of ideas that are going to fail before you get to that point of launching a small version of an idea. So it's learning how to prototype, what to prototype, in what order, and how to do it. But that's a whole other session, which um, Henry and I run training sessions on, but it's really understanding prototyping in order to validate. And you can do that quite quickly and cheaply as well. 
Well, I feel like everything we've touched on, we could kind of unpack it into its own <laughs> webinar and kind of talk forever, but I am conscious about time. So, so I will start to wrap it up, but I would say to anyone who wants, you know, if we didn't get to your question on there's something you want to dive deeper in, do reach out to, uh, to Henry and or Anne. Uh, I might just bring up your um, contact details again on the side there. Yeah, there we go. Um, so yeah, please do feel free. There's a button underneath as well if anyone wants to get in touch or please do follow them. And I noticed you seem to have avoided Twitter. Have you? Have you successfully escaped? Yeah, just Twitter. That's that seems. I guess that's why you seem so calm and zen and, and, <laughs> and content with life, as opposed to me and Henry, who are completely frazzled. <laughs> um, well, that's good. Okay. Well, anyone do get in touch with them. But just one one quick question before I let you go: Where do you guys get your innovation news, or who do you look up to, kind of for the latest trends? What where, where should people be following this stuff? Yeah, we we follow the corporate sector. The corporate sector are always ahead of the charity sector, and mm. just sort of um, follow some people on LinkedIn. That you know, t t type in innovation, see who comes up, and just start following people. It's really interesting to see what's happening in the corporate sectors. That's what I would do. Nice one, Henry. Anything to add on that? Um, I think there's. I think that you there are various sort of trends companies that you can um follow i mean trends trends companies tend to be really really far ahead of the game and not everything mm. will be uh will be completely relevant but really kind of ideas come from absolutely everywhere so i would just say make sure that you don't just have a kind of echo chamber online so follow mm. lots of disparate sources um and read uh, good quality stuff um so unfortunately there isn't one single source of ideas it's around making sure that you're plucking lots of different um sort of strands of information but make sure that you get outside of your echo chamber and, and look at sort of stuff from other countries so um trends tend to be quite intense in one particular country and then you'll look at stuff in another country and it's completely different so i would say get outside get outside of your comfort zone and have a look at um sort of different trends in different countries nice or do what i do and follow henry on linkedin and uh, and then you get you get a kind of filtered best of version so we don't we can see <laughs> all right that's good very kind of you to say so, so um guys thank you so much for your time today it was really lovely to chat and really lovely to hear from you and thanks for providing those bits and pieces that we will send out to um to attendees to follow up with you and i do recommend anyone who's watching this i do recommend you check check in with Anne and henry because they are lovely and great thinkers and um and i'm sure you like most people in the charity sector you're willing to make time for people which is always a lovely lovely part of our sector um but there you go thanks for being such a brilliant host son thank you henry that's very kind of you to say um all right thank you Anne. thank you henry mind yourselves look after yourselves and have a lovely day um a huge thanks again to um the crew at flying cars innovation you can check them out flyingcarsinnovation.com uh, or click on the button below to get in touch with them or we will be following up by email so keep an eye out, uh, out for that with a few bits and pieces from them so that that's great so that's it my friends we are wrapping up just to say again a huge thank you to anyone who uh, attended and joined us um, and to view i hope you uh, found that useful i can see some kind words and people saying it was very useful in the chat box so thanks for that um, if you are new to the fundraising everywhere world if this is maybe the first event you've you've joined with us 
um, then please do check out what else we've got coming up at fundraisingeverywhere.com. A huge thank you to all of our members. Remember to our members that you do get um, access to everything included. I'm going to uh, wrap up. I don't think there's anything else I have to say. Generally, I forget something and Alex pops it in the chat box, which is great. The only other thing I'll say, if anyone needs any help putting together your own virtual event, whether that's for fundraising, stewardship, engaging major donors, we do run all of our events through our sister company, Everywhere Plus. Um, so do check out everywhereplus.com if you need any help with your virtual event. And we do have a masterclass coming up through Everywhere Plus um, in uh, next week, I think, um, which is all around better accessibility um, around virtual events and how we make them more accessible for everyone. So do join us for that as well. Um, but otherwise, my friends, I'm going to wrap up and stop waffling and let you get back because I have kept you over time. But as always, lovely to see you. Always lovely to chat to smart people in our sector. Um, and do reach out if there's anything we can ever help you with or if there's any speakers, any sessions, any topics you'd like to see in the future. As Fundraising Everywhere, we are here for you and we are here to provide uh, the support, the training, the network and the people that will help you do uh, your job better. So thank you, everyone. Have a good time. Thanks to all the Fundraising Everywhere team behind the scenes, especially Anna uh, and Alex and Mandy for helping get this done. Um, and I will see you all at the next event. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.